You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me on this episode of Gators Breakdown is Cole Kubik from the SEC Network and former Auburn offensive lineman. He'll give his thoughts on the Gators this season, uh, he was around the team last week as Florida took on FSU uh, for the SEC Network crew. So Cole has a lot of insight on what he was able to see um, while he was around the staff and the players last week. And a lot of thoughts on Dan Mullen uh, as well and what he's been able to do in his two-year tenure at Florida. And I'll also dive into the college football playoff rankings and what that means for the Gators' bowl chances. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Also catch the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms and on social media on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And don't forget, uh, this week will be the last edition of Talking With Troop exclusively at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Former Gators tied in Ben Troop joins me to give his thoughts on this season, the big win versus FSU, and uh, what's up next for the Gators. That will be exclusively at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. She was in Gainesville last week around the Florida Gators program versus the season finale against FSU, and now joining us here on Gators Breakdown, that is one Cole Kubik from the SEC Network. Cole, thank you very much for joining, and uh, did the uh, Florida-Florida State game play out much like you thought it would? I thought it might be a little more competitive. Um, I thought that those Florida State players would 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 give good effort for Odell. I thought that they would. I thought they would. You know, this would be something that they could sort of hang their hat on as far as the season was concerned. Um, but man, it's it's pretty impressive performance by by Florida, especially defensively up front. So uh, maybe maybe a little more lopsided than I imagined. I, I felt pretty good that Florida would win uh, and would win by multiple scores, but just didn't expect it to be that out of hand that early. And with that, you know, Florida gets their 10th win of the season, 10-2 and two in uh, Season 2 under Dan Mullen, uh, and looking really, really good for a New Year's Six Bowl. Cole, you know, of course, the, the injuries that happened at quarterback, of course, and around the, the roster for Florida, but Dan Mullen once again uh, puts together a double-digit win season. It's, it's really impressive. And, 
when you consider sort of the offensive line that he had to work around this year, and it helps to have the kind of skill that they had, that makes things a little bit easier. But, you know, that was, that was an inexperienced group. It was a younger group, and they were still able to find success. And to be able to get some of the quality wins that they did was also impressive. And, you know, going to LSU, obviously, it was a tough game, but they're competitive in that game, probably more competitive than a lot of people thought they would be. And they go over there without a guy who I believe, if he's healthy for the entire season, Jonathan Grenard is the defensive player of the year in the league. And then, obviously, a, a neutral side game. You kind of go down to Georgia and one that was you know, didn't, didn't go the way that I think that they wanted it to, kind of got out of their game plan a little bit early. But this has been an amazing season. And I think people looked at that Florida schedule and looked at some question marks with the offensive line and maybe some uncertainty still at quarterback. And I, I know one of the questions for me that was absolutely answered this year was, you know, the interior of the defense. I thought the edge would be fine. I thought the second and third level would be okay. But, you know, I just didn't know if they had enough depth to really hold up inside for the entire year. And you had a couple of guys, you know, mainly Adam Schuler for the majority of the season. And then, of course, G.D. Slayton came on later in the year uh, that, that really helped that be almost a strength of the football team as well. So, just another great year for Dan Mullen, and I think Florida fans should be thrilled about where the program is and where it's headed. Cool. What, what does Dan Mullen do so well that, that just keeps him uh, winning? For Mississippi State, you know, of course, he doesn't have the roster that he has uh, the last two years at Florida, but he still wins there. Of course, he makes the move to Florida, and everybody thinks you know, the, the, the improvement in talent. Um, will make him compete for SEC championships, and you know, only a game behind Georgia this year. But you know, what is it about Dan Mullen from a from a wide scope in in your mind that keeps him as one of the SEC's best coaches? He coaches to the talent that he has. He he's not stubborn with his system, and and a lot of coaches in college football are, hey, this is what we run, and this is how we're going to run it, and they just try to plug guys into that and try to make it work. And I think Dan is the opposite of that. I think Dan he knew what he had with his offensive line this year, and so. He said, hey, you know, early on when it was Felipe, we're going to have some quarterback runs. We're going to try to implement those, and it's going to be a lot of quick throws. We're going to test you on the perimeter, try to loosen you up, make you run, and then we might be able to find some things with our backs a little bit later in the games. Um, and obviously he's going to take some shots downfield as well. But I think the, the main thing with, with Coach Mullen to me is that he, he looks at what he has on his roster, and he looks at who gives him the, the best chance to be successful and to be explosive. And, and he's great at creating mismatches. Uh, whether it's formations, whether it's motions, whether it's personnel groupings, he's going to find a mismatch. And I think the blessing in disguise with this team when Felipe Franks went out was that Kyle Trask is just an elite decision maker. I mean, he, he's a guy that when he was the backup prepared like he was the starter and somebody who, when given that opportunity, was ready and understands how to make the decisions that Dan Mullen wants him to make. He's not a risk taker. And I think you can be successful in a Dan Mullen offense without being high risk the majority of the time. And that's what Kyle Trask is. And to me, uh, the development will come after he and his staff have been there a few years. You'll see that with multiple players. But right now, he knows what he has. And he, he allows them to go out and be successful and puts them in position to be successful. And you know, defensively, he obviously lets Grant run that show. But I think he knows, obviously, what kind of a defense he has as well and that allows him to coach on offense in a little bit of a different way. And kind of going, you know, to that example, you know, no better example than more than likely just abandoning the run game <laughs> kind of midway through the season. He knew it wasn't there. Uh, knew he had, like you said, an elite decision maker in Kyle Trask. And Cole, you've been you around the interesting about that. I'm yeah. going to stop you real quick. What's interesting about that is, and I thought this was, I thought this was a cool quote. You know, he said, 
we never – he told us when we met with him that we never abandoned the run. And I think that showed up late in the Auburn game. It showed yep. up late in uh, the South Carolina game where they were able to bust off runs late. And the other part that he added to that is he said, we just don't worry about establishing the run. And it's kind of cool if you think about it because this is a team that I think he knows that they're not going to come out and just on on the first two drives hand the ball off eight or ten times and all of a sudden get the run going. That's not who they are. But I thought it was intriguing to hear him say that, you know, they never completely abandoned it, but at the same time they don't worry about establishing it because he knows that they're not that kind of team, but he's never going to be afraid to go back to it. And when you loosen that defense up, when you make them run, when you test their depth and they know that you can get shots down the field, and you sort of force them to change how they play you schematically, you know, that's when you're able to go hit some of those big runs later in games. And Cole, we saw it, you know, with the the troubles in the run game, this Florida passing game took off. Uh, You've been around this team for the last few seasons. How much is Florida going to miss that deep core of receivers of Swain and Hammond and Jefferson and Cleveland? All those guys will be moving on to the NFL. We'll see what Trevon Grimes and, and Kadarius Tony end up doing. But, uh, of course, it starts with those you know four seniors that uh, Florida had to say goodbye to on uh, Saturday night. It's going to be tough. And I think the first thing that you hope is that that offensive line does develop a little bit next year. And you're going to be pretty strong at tailback no matter what happens. And obviously, Michael P. Ryan is going to move on. But you're going to have a good stable of backs that if you do need to be able to change your philosophy early in games and try to establish more of a run game early on, you might be able to do that. That'll help. Um, I, I don't expect – I mean, I, th- I think there's still going to be talent back at that position. And the guy that may help more than anything is Kyle Pitts. And his emergence at tight end mm-hmm. was huge for that team. And he's going to be a big weapon next year. And then what does Emory Jones do for this team next year? Um, I mean, there's, I'm not going to say that Emory Jones can't be the starter. I mean, hell, I, w- I was surprised that he came out of the Auburn game. Because he, he went in the Auburn game and started throwing darts. And yeah. I was like, well, just leave him in. I mean, <laughs> he obviously gives you a dynamic running capability. And then now he, he's shown you that he can throw the football well. Had a couple of nice throws in that Florida State game. So he's going to develop. He's going to improve. He's someone who could help you on the perimeter with a little bit of a run game and creating explosive plays. But I, I think what they'll miss the most, even past the talent, is the leadership of that group. Because uh, it was pretty cool to hear – Hevesy and Mullen tell us, you know, about Jefferson and about Swain and about those those seniors. First off, they all play special teams, so they all want to go out and help the team win any any way that they can. But they're also unselfish, and that's why you saw certain guys in certain games. Whether it was, you know, Jefferson would get eight balls, then Tony would get nine or ten balls, and then Swain would get six or seven balls, and some guys wouldn't get any in those games. And there was. Dan Mullen told us nobody ever complained, nobody ever moaned, and for wide receivers, that's fairly rare. Obviously, that's you know one of the diva positions in footballs, but not with that group. And I think that part of that group is what will be missed the most. Yes, they're talented. Yes, they help spread the, the, the defenses out, and they give you explosive plays on high-percentage throws. But I think the leadership of that group is what Florida is going to miss the most. And Cole, we'll go to the position. You mentioned them uh, a couple of times here. The position group you know so well, the offensive line, is this a group that can, um, it, it, I put, put it plain and simple, can, can they get better? I mean, what, what was the main issue you saw this year as this group struggling so much? We know it was the inexperience. We know I didn't have a lot of playing time coming in this year. Is it, is it something that, uh, look, they're probably going to shuffle some guys uh, when spring rolls around as well. 
Um, you know, what's, uh, what seems to be the main issue and, and, and what can be fixed to make this offensive line improve next season? Well, I think the main issue is just physicality and attitude and demeanor, you know, toughness, finish. Those, those are things that, that can be instilled to an offensive line, but a lot of it just the individuals have to want to do it and they have to want to be those kind of guys. It, it's, it's just your personality. Um, I think Delance is a guy that, that has that capability. I think he can be a really good player for him next year. I think Ethan White's a young guy to watch. Brett Hagee's obviously played a lot of good football in a Florida uniform, but has been into the line, in and out of the lineup the last few years with some injuries. Um, but I think he's someone who could, who could have a big year next year. So I think there are a couple guys there that can help with that. The, the main thing that they need, and, and this is kind of – I've kind of pointed to this issue at Auburn for the last couple of years. They need competition. And what you get when you don't have depth on the offensive line, because you're going to have depth at receiver, you're going to have depth at corner and linebacker and, and running back. So when you see those guys mess up and you see those guys blow an assignment, they usually come right out of the game, right? I mean, if you get, if you get a receiver that, that drops a ball or a receiver that gets a penalty, they usually just plug the next guy in. He comes off the field. Same thing with a DB. So what doesn't happen oftentimes is when a right guard or a left tackle is not playing well or is getting beat or is getting you penalties, you rarely see them come out of the game immediately. But what happens over time is when you don't have competition, that becomes somewhat accepted inside your program over the course of a season. I've seen it happen with multiple programs inside the SEC. And I'm not saying that they're encouraging it, but what I'm saying is they don't have anybody else to put in. And the next guy is so far away from that guy that they have in the game that they can't risk putting him in the lineup. So for me, the main thing that Florida needs is just depth on that offensive line. So if they get someone who's underperforming or they get somebody who's not living up to expectations, you got somebody else that's ready to go in and they can push each other and then they become better because they're practicing at a different level. It means more to them. And they're going to do the little things, the extra things to make sure that they stay in the lineup. Cole Kublik from the SEC Network joining us here on Gators Breakdown. A couple more thoughts from him as we move to the other side of the ball. And uh, the, uh, up front on the defensive line, you mentioned Jonathan Grenard and the impact he's had just in one season uh, for the Gators. And look, that was without who went out the, early the Kentucky game and never really uh, came back this season and played uh, played a little bit in that Georgia game, but never really got to play up to his potential this season. Cole, I mean, uh, Gator fans can only wish and imagine what would have happened if both of those guys were on the field at the same time. Yeah, it would have been fun to watch because they were, they were, they were difficult enough to handle with those guys in the lineup. So to, to, to have those guys back, I think, uh, or to have Zuniga back would have been just, uh, I, I would, dare I say, the best bookends in the league. Um, you know, I think when Terrell Lewis got going for Alabama, he and Jennings were pretty good, but I, I don't know if anybody else could have thrown two guys like that on the outside and, and given you one-on-one wins. And when you combine that with what Schuler and Campbell and Slayton were doing inside this year, uh, maybe more than most, most of us expected, you know, that would have made it easier on those two to, to be able to wreak havoc. So, um, and what they had on the back end obviously helps a lot as well. So, I hated it for Zuniga because I think he's been a guy that has asked, he's done everything the coaches have asked him to do when he, he you know, he's played down inside a little bit when they go to a bare front and sort of giving him a bit of a presence in there, a little more quickness in their jet package. And obviously the guy that can hurt you off the edge. So they'll both be missed. Grenard is just, he, he's a next level guy. He is a next level talent. And like I said before, I believe that if he would have been healthy the entire season, we'd be talking about him as the SEC defensive player of the year. Oh yeah. A lot of, along that same theme, coulda, woulda, shoulda. 
you know, in the middle of the season, you know, they had Florida travel to Baton Rouge and uh, could not get pressure uh, on Joe Burrow, and, and they hit some big plays. And then the Georgia game, Georgia converts third down after third down because they weren't able to, to generate much pressure there. Uh, and then the big plays as well that kind of just gave it away uh, late in that Georgia game. And Florida was just uh, all so close. And uh, in, 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 look, and it's against two teams that are playing Saturday in the SEC championship game. Uh, it's just uh, another testament. But um, we look at and, and we'll go back and look at what, well, you know, if this defense just could have made a couple more plays in the two biggest games of the season, it could be Florida that we're talking about Saturday. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and I think that still comes down, like we were talking about with the offensive line, just depth, just building more depth. Um, and, and I think you saw towards the end of the year a couple of guys that are probably going to help in the future. I mean, you know, Diabate is going to be a guy that's – I think he's going to be a killer, whether whether they back him up and put him inside or whether – I mean, he's got – I think Grantham wants to play him inside next year, but he's got such a quick first step off the edge. I, I, I think you're going to have a hard time keeping him uh, from, from being your edge rusher and maybe even your buck linebacker next year. Uh, so you, you saw – late in the season some of those guys coming on that could help a little bit more but this is this is why dan's a good coach i mean he he put florida in position to be sec east champions and and that's where you want to be and you give yourself a shot in those big games you put yourself in position to win those games enough times things are going to happen the right way so florida builds more depth that's why i said when he was hired he's going to win a national title at florida i i just i believe in the way that he builds his programs I believe that in the way that he coaches. I believe in the way he manages his staff. And I think he can do more with less. And he should be able to get more at Florida than he was able to get at Mississippi State. So um, I'm a fan of Dan Mullen. And, and I, I think he's, he has proven for the second consecutive year why he's worthy of being discussed as, as one of the better coaches in this league. All right, last thought from you, Cole. SEC Championship Games coming up Saturday. LSU and Georgia and Atlanta. Uh, who you got in that game and why? And uh, is uh, is is LSU, uh, you know, one of those those top teams that you think uh, went can or well, of course they can. Well, do you see them winning it all in the end? I think they can, uh, especially with the way their defense has played the last few weeks. I think Joe Burrow is just that good. I think his weapons are that good. And you know, you, you kind of mentioned the inability to be able to get pressure um, when, when Florida played them. It's like even when you do pressure him. You have to think about the circumstances there. Number one, you got a guy that can get the ball out quick. Number two, you got a guy that utilizes his tight end and his running back with quick routes. So he's not afraid to check down. He knows when he needs to get rid of the ball. Number three, his offensive line's been playing pretty well. And number four, you got a guy that's elusive. I mean, he uses his legs extremely well. So I mean, people forget Joe Burrow was their short yardage back last year. So his ability to leave the pocket, move around in the pocket, is something that's going to make it difficult for teams to pressure him. I think it all comes down to LSU's defense, and and if they if they can play up to their potential, and I think that they're they're starting to sort of mold into shape here late in the year. Dave Aranda hasn't had the same eleven on the field very much now that that continuity's starting to come along, starting to grow. Patrick Queen's playing good ball at linebacker. Uh, obviously, we know how talented the secondary is, and you've got Rashard Lawrence, you've got Glenn Logan, you've got uh, Tyler Shelvin, Apuika, all those guys up front are now in the lineup together and healthy, and they haven't had that much of this season. So I think that's allowing them to grow a little bit. Uh, I've got LSU this weekend. I, I, I don't think I, – I love the Georgia defense. I love the way they play. And I think one of the games that they really proved to me how good they were was that Florida game when you saw what they did in coverage. Uh, they were outstanding in coverage in that game. So the, the, the third level of that defense can play ball. 
But I think even if you limit LSU, you're talking about 21, 24, 28 points. And I don't see Georgia being able to go get that with how inconsistent Jake Fromm has been, how he's been missing deep balls, and then the weapons that he's going to be without in the first half and for the entirety of this game. On top of the fact that that offensive line has not been truly dominant the last two, three weeks. Uh, They've been great in pass protection, but hasn't been truly dominant in the run game. And if Swift is not close to 100%, that hurts Georgia as well. It just feels like a lot of things sort of weighing against Georgia heading into this game. And LSU actually, we thought they peaked like back in the Alabama game. They may actually be peaking even more now. Like they've ascended another mountain here in the last two, three games of the season. So I'll go LSU, and I think they have every opportunity to go win a national championship with, with the quarterback that they have, the way the O-line's playing, the weapons around him, and the defense coming along. Um, I think they have every shot to go out there and win a national title. Well, Cole, uh, last week in Gainesville was the last SEC Network game on Saturday night. So uh, what's your plans uh, for, for this weekend as the, the, the schedule winds down? Actually, I'm going to be over in Atlanta. I'm going to go to the game. Uh, a couple of friends of ours asked us to go, and yeah, I didn't. I didn't think my wife would have any part of it. And uh, <laughs> she said, "Yeah, that sounds like a blast." So I'm thinking, okay, I get to check the box of being social with friends, and I get to go watch a really good football game. Like, sign me up for that. So Absolutely. I'll be a part of it. Yeah, we're going to go check it out, and I'll probably just drive over for the day. But uh, should be a good game. Sounds good. Sounds good. Cole Kubik from the SEC Network joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Cole, thank you very much. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, man. On Tuesday night, the latest edition of the college football playoff rankings were released and uh, a little bit of a surprise uh, for our Gators coming in at number nine and very, very important there because all, or Alabama, after their loss to Auburn, dropped all the way to number 12, which leaves Florida as the highest-ranked SEC team in the college football playoff rankings that's not currently uh, in in the college football playoff uh, final four. Of course, LSU and Georgia are in the top four with Ohio State number one, LSU number two, uh, Clemson at number three, and Georgia at number four. And the reason that's important for Florida to be the highest-ranked SEC team uh, right now is because that really looks good for Florida to be in the Orange Bowl. Uh, Of course, you know, Wisconsin is in front of Florida right now at number eight. Uh, but you would ha- assume Wisconsin's going to lose to Ohio State, um, and then that will drop Wisconsin below Florida, and Florida will be the higher-ranked Big Ten or SEC team left and pretty much guarantee Florida uh, in the Orange Bowl. The Sugar Bowl is a possibility as well. If Georgia was to upset LSU, Georgia and LSU more than likely would both make the college football playoff Florida, being the higher-ranked SEC team, would then go to the Sugar Bowl uh, with a loss uh, for Georgia in the SEC championship game. That would slide Georgia to the Sugar Bowl and then Florida to the Orange Bowl uh, as well. So um, pretty much, uh, you know, if Georgia was to get blown out by LSU, I guess there's a slim chance Florida could get the Sugar Bowl as they would, I don't know if they'd jump Georgia in that situation or not. We have to see uh, what the college football playoff committee would think there. But with Georgia holding the head-to-head win over Florida, I would assume Georgia would still be in front of Florida. They'd head to the Sugar and then with Florida being the uh, next highest-ranked SEC team, would then go uh, to the Orange Bowl and probably play Virginia uh, there, who will play Clemson this weekend in the ACC championship game. Uh, and then uh, we'll see. I think you know the Orange Bowl has to, uh, is contracted to take an ACC team, uh, and Virginia would probably be that team. Though they are, you know, they're ranked in that twenty-third. 
Uh, we'll see how much they would drop after losing to Clemson, but you wouldn't think all that much. Uh, pretty much an expected loss uh, there. But pretty surprising to Penn State. Florida did jump Penn State in the latest rankings uh, with Florida at number 9, Penn State at number 10. So, you know, that's important because uh, if Wisconsin was to beat Ohio State, Wisconsin, I think, would you know, they would still they would be in line for the Rose Bowl. Uh, and since Florida is in front of Penn State, uh, that would send Florida to the Orange Bowl uh, as the higher-ranked SEC or Big Ten team there. So that, that, that's why it, it, jumping Penn State was very important there uh, to get the Orange Bowl. If Wisconsin loses to Ohio State, I would assume that sends Penn State to the Rose Bowl uh, as the higher-ranked Big Ten team after that. So a lot to kind of shuffle there. If Florida was to get the Sugar Bowl, uh, they would play uh, you know, the winner of the Big 12 championship game if that team doesn't make uh, the college football playoff, and that would be Oklahoma or Baylor. Uh, if they were to make it and one of those teams were to make it, uh, Oklahoma or Baylor were to make it to the college football playoff, then we'd play the loser of that game in the Sugar Bowl. So a lot to look forward to uh, this weekend coming up uh, for the uh, the way uh, or, or the opponent that Florida could end up playing in a New Year's Six game for the second year in a row under Dan Mullen. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.